When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, Blue Jays fans. Yes, a rare, rare, Craig. I think this is the first time we have done a Saturday afternoon recording of the Jaybird Washington podcast. How are you, my great co-host? Oh, unlo- just like up in Toronto, apparently it's dark and dreary here in Rochester, New York. But we have plenty of look- things to look forward to, Brendan, as we have a nice little dusting of wonderful Blue Jays things to talk about since our last show, where we were more or less just going, hurry up and bring us on Nolan Arenado, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where we put together those hypothetical trade packages. Hey, that was a lot of fun. I'll, I'll give you credit for coming up with that idea, Mr. Host. That was the a last, uh, um, last one. Yeah, that was a fun one. And uh, how many people have ripped off that podcast already in articles in the last two weeks? <laughs> oh yeah, I think we were. I think we were the uh, the inspiration behind that for people writing stuff. Yeah, and now, now it's transferred into hurry up and let's uh, check in on Francisco Lindor. It looks like so. Maybe it's just. <laughs> going to continue down that road. But that's what I figure we're going to be, as Blue Jays fans, seeing for the rest of the offseason is these weird trade ideas. And I'm just hoping they're really checking in on these like they say they are right now. But if they have a chance to build a really good team here with how many prospects we have, Brendan. So it's good stuff. They do. They absolutely do. And you know what? Actually, Mr. Segway, there you go. <laughs> I actually just thought of this popped into my head before we get into the, uh, the recap of Blue Jays Winterfest, which happened uh, exactly one week ago. Uh, today, Craig, the uh, the over-under totals uh, on Vegas got released for the division, and the Blue Jays, I believe, are sitting at 74.5 or 75 uh, on the over-under for wins this season, which is almost a 10-win improvement uh, on the 2019 season. Craig, if you were a betting man, are you betting the over on 75 wins? Or are you going to take the under to be a little bit conservative in case there's some injuries or maybe the jump from some of these prospects and uh, the young studs heading into their second full year uh, just want to be on the safe side and go the under. What, what, what would you do? Be, what would you be doing if you were offering somebody betting recommendations on a 75 win total for the Blue Jays heading into 2020? Uh, I'd be unfortunately, Brendan, as much as I don't want to admit it, there is too many things that have to go right for the Blue Jays to be a 75 win team. <laughs> I still think we're around 500 at best, but right now, if everything breaks out perfectly, right. I honestly yeah. think there's no reason we're not in the conversation. I really think on paper right now we might be a better team than the Red Sox, and we're at least on par with the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, I wouldn't disagree with that. I wouldn't disagree with that, especially when you throw in the fact that the Red Sox seem to be in this odd state of transitioning when they're trying to figure out what to do with Mookie Betts. They don't have Alex Cora as manager anymore. David Price could be off the books. And Craig, you saw that uh, that rumor that was going around that the uh, in Mookie Betts trade talks, the Red Sox. Uh, are willing to attach David Price on there to uh, get rid of his salary if you take on Mookie Betts. Is that a trade you would pull the trigger on if you were uh, Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro? Well, knowing the fact that you're going to get David Price for a few seasons out of that, and I honestly think right now to get a player like Mookie Betts to come and play in trial long term, you're going to have to bring him in on a trade and be like, dude, this is awesome. you got to come here and check this out. You know, I don't see the giant free agent, the mega free agent, 
ever wanting to come to Toronto willingly, unfortunately. And I think that's a, that's just a built-up, unfortunate history of Toronto Blue Jays uh, stuff that <laughs> is factoring into that decision for me. But when you get somebody like Hyunjin Ryu all of a sudden coming in, it's starting to open that door, I think, a little bit. But you're not going to – I still am, would be shocked if all of a sudden if Mookie Betts was a free agent legitimately and the Blue Jays even threw a ton of money at him. I don't think he's knocking on the door going, yo, let's make this happen. I think you give him that season in Toronto on this trade, he might buy into the whole thing, and he's going to love it and be like, wow, this is way better than I ever imagined, and then he would be willing to sign that contract extension. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. I think uh, getting that superstar talent, whether it is a Nolan Arenado, like we chatted last week with Adam Corsair, uh, or adding a Mookie Betts, you got to do that via trade. And I think that's probably the direction that the front office will go if this team is in it around the trade deadline, is adding that impact player via trade. Still could happen this off season, as you mentioned, uh, kicking the tires on Francisco Lindor, apparently. But uh, I think it makes it a little bit more palatable that you would have David Price for a guaranteed three seasons. Mookie Betts is only one season, keep in mind. But still, the fact that you can at least have David Price for two seasons after could make that a little bit more palatable. Craig, let's kind of, this is kind of a little bit off of our agenda that we set off, but you know what? Let's have some fun with it. Let's put together, yeah, let's put together a hypothetical trade package for David Price and Mookie Betts. Who would you offer in the farm system to get that deal done and maybe a piece or two off of the Major League roster that could interest the Boston Red Sox? Who's untouchable and who would you include in a trade? Well, according to what I've been reading, they're looking for two prospects in that trade. And obviously that's the reason they're they're hoping somebody will eat um, David Price's contract. You get them to take the payment, and then they get the players that they want for Mookie Betts and David Price, right? So in the midst of that, I'm looking at our Blue, the Blue Jays' prospects, and I'm thinking it's going to start and st- start and probably stop with Jordan Groshans or Simeons Wood Richardson because the Blue mm-hmm. Jays, in my opinion, are never even going to talk about Nate Pearson. They want him. Yep. They love him. He is the Roy Halladay-level ace in the making, kind of the guy. I really do think he's even going to be better than Aaron Sanchez was in his debut there in the first couple of years. He's just got so much. He's just oozing with talent, man. There's no way in hell I'm trading Nate Pearson. Jordan Groshans and everybody, though, after that, I Groshans is a great ball player. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like there was just so much middle infield depth that he can be lost in a trade. Yes, he's our high-end guy right now, but we have the Santiago Espinals and company and everybody out throughout our minor league system. So you throw Jordan Groshans in and then throw in maybe one of our other top ten guys. I don't think it turns into Groshans and Woods Richardson by any means. But if you throw in somebody like, you know, Alejandro Kirk or any of the other big boppers that we have, I don't think you have to go down the list as far as Griffin Conine to get the Red Sox to really nibble on this. But some of those guys are floating around at the AAA, AA level, and I think you could get this done. I do too. And uh, to kind of recap, for those who hadn't had the chance to listen to our hypothetical packages for Nolan Arenado, I came in strong uh, in saying you could offer anybody to the Colorado Rockies for Nolan Arenado, uh, including Jordan Groshan. But I did say uh, for Mookie Betts alone, I don't think you can include. I don't think you have to include Jordan Groshans to get the deal. But if you add in David Price and you get two high end talents like that, then I think Groshans is back on the table. So I agree with you. I think Jordan Groshans obviously would be the Red Sox' biggest ask outside of Nate Pearson. 
uh, and then you can present them with a list of starting pitching prospects that they've accumulated, whether it's an Alec Manoa, a Woods Richardson, an Adam Klofenstein, Joey Murray, whoever it is, and be like, yeah, pick one of these guys, uh, or pick two lower-end guys that aren't as high-end as Woods Richardson, and we can get a deal done. If it will happen, I doubt it. It seems like the Padres are getting ready to swoop in for Mookie Betts. That's the latest uh, rumor uh, in the Mookie Betts sweepstakes. But uh, you know what, man? It's fun to dream. I like putting together these hypothetical trade packages because for a chance, Craig, it actually makes sense given the high-end talent these guys have now in the farm system. It's not like we're going saying, yeah, a few years ago, you'd be like, yeah, take a Connor Green and and a Sean Reed Foley. Who the hell would want them now? So... It's actually Where are fun they now? and makes That's sense. What's the question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sean Reed Foley is barely hanging on to a starter's role in the minor leagues. I don't Sean think he Green, will be one. I, I think uh, Connor Green got cut. You're right. I don't even know where he is. I honestly, I, I don't even think he's with the Cardinals anymore. I believe the last I saw, he's in the Royals system, so yeah. he's not even with the team that acquired him for Grichik. So. Hey, that's how the, that's why they're prospects, and that's why I don't have the issue throwing prospects at Nolan Arenado, Francisco Lindor, or Mookie Betts. I will tell you right now, if I had the opportunity to just chuck money at prospect or prospects out of trade, though, Lindor and uh, Nolan Arenado are probably my two if I had to take the pick right now versus the Mookie Betts situation. But you do get that cherry on the top with David Price. And now you get two segue points, Mr. Mr. Ah, Craig Borden. So well, well done, <laughs> because that actually leads quite nicely into uh, one of the main storylines that came out from Winterfest a week ago, and that was in talking with Bo Bichette. Uh, obviously, there's two angles that we can go on Bichette, and the first one I want to take on in terms of talking about uh, a Francisco Lindor who plays Bo Bichette's position is that the Blue Jays did come to Bo Bichette this off season when they were pursuing the likes of a D.D. Gregorius or potentially offering up trade packages for a Lindor or somebody of that ilk where Bo Bichette would be willing to play a different position to get that deal done. How much do you think uh, people and fans of the Toronto Blue Jays can take away that this front office is legitimately serious about making 2020 a season that they could potentially contend now that they've added Hunjin Ryu They've reshaped the rotation to be more stable with Tanner Roark and Chase Anderson. And the fact that they were in on Gregorius and offered him a contract, knowing that Bo Bichette was willing to be flexible with where he played, could play into the fact that there still could be a move or two that are made before the season begins to make this team a potential wildcard team, Craig. So I'm going to put this into summary, Brendan, because I think this is where everything's going. Everybody has seen where this team has been developing, right? Okay. Shapiro and Atkins come in, strip things down. Okay, we're going to try keeping the team competitive at the major league level, but their clear focus was on just bolstering the minor league system, right? Now we're seeing the fruits of the labors that they put in over the last few years with the Vladdy, Bajos, and everybody coming, right? Now they need, they're at that point where they're like, hey, man, we got this cooking. It's our last year or so to go really full on in on this whole thing. I'm not saying it's the you know, clear out the minor league system at the top, you know, cut out the top of the foam like frickin' uh, Anthopolis did back when to go for it because there's a nice sustained growth throughout the minor league system. But they have a team that right now has very few flaws, Brendan. If they have a chance to do that on any level, they should be getting ready to strike on the trade trade market and be able to bring these guys in. And the fact that Boba Shett answered that, te- that game or that question perfectly, I will do whatever I have to do to win is that what I got out of Boba Shett. 
And one way or the other, we know he's going to hit. And I honestly do not see a place on a baseball diamond where Boba Shack can't play. I agree. I agree. And you know what? I think part of the reason why they are looking into such massive moves and asking these guys how flexible they'll be is, just as you said, they've developed this core. It is pretty much set on the offensive side of things. With the additions to the rotation, the rotation has come together quite nicely, and we'll get into that later. I want to touch on Tanner Roark specifically in a little bit. But now that this front office is going to have to start playing into getting a contract extension because they're both very close to the end of their deals, Mark Shapiro and Roth Atkins, it's time to start winning. And 2020 could be one of those seasons where even if they don't make the playoffs, if they're around 500, that is good enough growth to justify contract extensions from Rogers to hand down to Shapiro and hand down to Roth Atkins and be like, yep, you guys have done a great job. You've done exactly what you said. You took it down to it bare bones. You traded away all the studs, all the guys who everybody left in 2015 and 2016. You built it back up in 2017, 2018, and 2019. Now 2020 and beyond, it's time to start winning. And we're starting to see them being willing to push in their chips, spend their money, as we saw with Ryu and Roark and adding Chase Anderson. I think he summarized it perfectly, my man. It is time to start adding high-end talent to this roster. And... I think that does also play into the fact that this front office knows they need contract extensions. They need to be around here to finish the job. Do you think that that's part of the reason why they are starting to probably a little bit more aggressively than in years past add high-end talent? It's a good question, but I think at this point they probably already justified it with the Ryu signing and all this other stuff that they've been doing over the last year. And the fact that they have drafted all these guys outside of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. This is a team built by Shapiro and Atkins as it is on the team. On, this is the first one we're really going to see that is all they're doing, right? And yep. there is not anything on paper here that is a completely glaring, disgusting flaw in this team other than you could make the argument for center field, but there is enough options there that you would think that one of them would catch fire and run with this team. So if you have a chance to all of a sudden, like I said, throw prospects at it and get a Mookie Betts, a Nolan Arenado, a Francisco Lindor, this is a game-changing thing. This is exactly like what the, uh, who was it that signed, uh, anyway, you sign a big guy like this, your odds all of a sudden completely change over your team. It's like the uh, White Sox getting Dallas Keuchel and everybody this this year. That's all of a sudden a team that looks like it can compete as early as this year with all the young talent that they have. I can tell you right now, I still think right now, looking at paper, the Blue Jays have a better team than the Chicago White Sox, and they're going crazy on adding talent right now, whether it's on the free agent market or trades. So if you can go out and get one of those guys to complement being around Gurriel Jr. and everybody, and all this, it's going to be insane, Brendan. This offense is going to be something special, I think, as it sits already, and then you add something like that. Catalyst, light the fire, man. <laughs> light the fire. And, you know, one of those key guys who's going to be largely responsible to the Blue Jays' success or, or failures in 2020 is Bo Bichette. And that's the second storyline that came out of talks with Bo Bichette. And he has already set expectations for himself that he wants to be the American League MVP in 2020. That's huge talk for a guy who's only been here for two months since yeah. he got called up at the very end of July. Bo Bichette is already setting the table and the tone and he said he wanted to be the American League MVP, and that's a goal of his for 2020. And he also said it is nice to see the front office making additions to complement what we all thought in the clubhouse could be a competitive team in 2020. Craig, is this the start of Bo Bichette becoming the face of this franchise? 
because this guy has all the flair. He has all the makings to be a potential superstar for this team. Is this Bill Bichette's team heading into 2020? Right now, I think it's Boba Shett's swagger that's leading this team, <laughs> one way or the other. Um, don't get me wrong; I think I really think that that Bo's um, mentality and work ethic is going to be the Josh Donaldson in this clubhouse. What we've been missing the last few years, he's going to call out guys because you know he is going to be putting in 110 percent every day. But then you have the just the full-on prowess of somebody like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's going to be in the lineup all day, and we already saw what he looked like. Looks like he's ready to go to, right now. Yeah, <laughs> so, best shape of his life. <laughs> yeah, best shape of his life candidate at the age of what, twenty-one? <laughs> yeah, this isn't Pablo Sandoval at the age of thirty-five. <laughs> so, but then you have like we have a three-headed monster in those three guys. I just do not see a locker room ever having any problem when you have those three different types of leaders that are going to be in this locker room. It's the same as having Jose Bautista, Russell Martin, and Josh Donaldson in that locker room in 2015. It is. It absolutely is. And you know what? You can add in a Russell Martin comparison to a Danny Jansen or a Reese McGuire. Um, And actually, there's another storyline that just kind of popped into my head. And I'll touch on this first before getting into uh, Tanner Roark. As I prefaced earlier, Reese McGuire at Winterfest went on record in saying that after the Blue Jays signed Hunjin Ryu, he reached out to Russell Martin because Russell Martin has experience catching Ryu. I mean, man, Reese McGuire doing that work and putting in the effort to go out of his way and reach out to Russ and Russell Martin helping him out, giving him some tips. How big is that going into 2020 that Reese McGuire is able to lean on a veteran like Russell Martin who's already had experience catching Hunjin Ryu? I think it says something that when you have those relationships with players that you have to lean on them regardless of where they end up. We all know that, you know, Reese McGuire might have been a little bit ahead of Jansen at one point, but they've leveled off, obviously, at this point. There's different arguments on which why one would be starting over the other, but the fact that he's that dedicated to this team or his craft to turn around and reach out to a veteran like Russell Martin that had been catching Hyunjin Ryu over the last season, that's all bonuses, all great things, and that's what I think all these guys on this young team need to be doing. How can I get better? What are these little edges I can take and make this a 2020 to remember? It's going to be fascinating to see how that all plays out with catcher position with plenty of episodes to cover that. So <laughs> there is two, two or three storylines that really came out of interviews at Winterfest. Now, this last one I want to touch on before we get into the fun of the New Jersey and the New Blue hashtag that they were really pumping up the last few weeks heading into Winterfest. Now, I'll preface this by saying, I'm not sure if this was an interview at Winterfest with Mark Shapiro or maybe right before it. Um, I was listening to At The Letters with Ben Nicholson-Smith and Arden Swelling, and they were talking about the addition of Tanner Roark. And some of Mark Shapiro's comments surrounding Tanner Roark was that this front office, when deciding to offer him the deal and get him to Toronto, is the fact that they saw some stuff in his arsenal that they believe they can fix, whether it's mechanically, maybe just mixing up his pitches a little bit more, throwing his deadly curveball more than he did the last few seasons with the Nationals and the Cincinnati Reds and the Athletics, uh, that they think that Tanner Roark could be uh, that stable guy, that solid number two with those minor additions. Now, what Ben Nicholson-Smith and Arden Zwelling said in relation to those comments is, I believe it was Arden Zwelling, just has this feeling that Tanner Roark is going to be 
and follow in the exact same footsteps at this fan base as Jay Happ and Marco Estrada. Two moves at the time where people were like, what the hell, why are you trading Adam Lynn to get Marco Estrada, this home run prone guy? And what the hell are we doing signing Jay Happ to a three-year contract? We already know what Jay Happ is. We had him here already. When the Blue Jays signed Tanner Roark, even we were on our episode. I know I was a little bit more critical of it than you were, saying, eh, okay, he's a guy who maybe can be in there, eat you some innings, give you about a four ERA. But, Craig, would it really surprise you with those fixes that Mark Shapiro says they have identified to make Roark a better pitcher than he was the last few seasons? Could he follow that Marco Estrada and Jay Happ uh, trajectory with this fan base and really turn himself into a bit of a fan favorite? Yeah, I think he could be. And the fact that it's just almost it's too eerily similar, right? <laughs> you got somebody that's had some success, and Marco Strada had plenty of success before coming to Toronto and Milwaukee. It was just in a mixed rotation role and back and forth from the bullpen, but he was very useful one way or the other all those times. Tanner Roark is a starting pitcher. Yes, he pitched out of the bullpen a little bit last year, but he is got the arsenal of a guy that should be in this rotation especially as we're going to be bringing more and more youth into this rotation over the next few years great if you have a few things he can fix it's only going to help him but he's there to be eating up innings getting the most baseball out of him you can before the youngsters come up and I think it's a great signing they obviously went after him for a reason especially as aggressively as they went after him so if they have those few little tweaks that they can make him a great starting pitcher again, this is a guy that almost won eight. What he won eighteen games in twenty sixteen with the Nationals. I, so. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So this is a guy that's not too far off. And obviously some things happened, and um, maybe it's mechanical, maybe it's velocity, maybe it's age, whatever it might be. But if they have identified some key things that could be the, the main things for him to come into spring training, it could be a whole different pitcher, just like how Marco Estrado came in and lit the world on fire and it just had that insane dip on his changeup after changing his grip a little bit. It could be something as simple as that that makes Tanner Roark a complete stud and maybe our second diamond in the rough, Matt Shoemaker, find. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I would love nothing more than that because, man, that shoemaker was unreal in his five starts a season ago. It was awesome before he unfortunately tore his ACL. I mean, we both agreed that that was kind of the, the balloon that popped was Matt Shoemaker's uh, injury to this team and all the fun stuff that they had started to build up in April. But, you know, that interview that I was listening to with Ben Nicholson-Smith and Arden Zwelling really made me feel better about the additions of Tanner Roark and Chase Anderson. And their main point was everybody in Major League Baseball is always out to find veterans who can eat innings and give you quality innings. I mean, man, a quality start, by definition, is six innings, three earned runs, and that equals a 450 ERA. So if you are below a 450 ERA for your season, technically, you kind of are in that quality range. And there's no reason to think that Chase Anderson and Tanner Roark cannot be quality starters that are healthy, go out there every turn through the rotation and eat innings for this team, something that they just didn't have available to them last year. And honestly, Craig, I don't know about you, but this rotation could be sneakily good. When you look at, you got the high-end talent in Ryu, and then you have Roark, Anderson, hopefully Matt Shoemaker. And then the fact that you can push a Ryan Barucki or a Trent Thornton who went out there and started 29 games for you, potentially out of the rotation entirely. This could be a sneaky good rotation heading into 2020, don't you think? 
worst case scenario, it has the depth that we desperately needed last year. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> so the thing I think I, I love that it's, yeah, you got Ryu as your stud, right? But the fact that everybody else after him is there's, they have their different strengths and everything, but they're all about on the same level, in my opinion, even like all the way down to Thornton, you know, that they are quality pitchers. And like you said, if what's, what's the worst case scenario, they give up three, four runs, and that's where your normal is every game. I think this offense that we are looking at here is like the offense we had in 2015 where we're going to be scoring four or five runs every game. That balances out to a lot of wins, Brendan, and that's all we're looking for here, more wins than we've had the last few years. And that's what I think they did with building this rotation. Definitely, definitely. Now, Craig, a little bit of fun stuff that came out uh, of Winterfest was the new blue, the new uniforms. What were your initial thoughts when you saw those revealed? by the four models who really told you something about the four guys that they chose to go out there on stage. It was Vlad, it was Bo and Cavan, and then Randall Gritchick was the fourth model of the New Jerseys out there. What were your initial thoughts of the new blue? Uh, the entire thing, the uniform, the pants, the matte blue helmets that they're going to be wearing, and the new hat. What do you think about those? My first question is, why was Randall Gritchick there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my too. <laughs> I, well, that and I, at first, I could not even tell that they were actually blue with the way they had the, the the lighting and everything on the stage and everything. Brendan, I'm like, oh, this is white jerseys with a blue tint, or is it all the lights shining on them and they're blue lights, or <laughs> what? So I was a little confused until I finally saw the later in the day some of the actual close-ups of the jerseys and everything coming through and honestly i love them i'm a little mixed on the hat but the helmets look spectacular i love the fact that they went to this they didn't even change the blue it is the blue from the early or the late 70s and i just love the fact that they're not pullovers and they're button-ups like a real baseball jersey in my opinion should be so I'm all in on it. I just don't know about the hat. And apparently you're wearing it, so I'm just going to have to visit and get one of my own at some point. But I was wondering why they didn't go more into the – they were already using the white panel hats last year. Why wouldn't they just keep continuing to do something like that? Or I just thought maybe not including the – and using that secondary, the regular Blue Jay Blue as the full hat again would have been more nice. But maybe it's just my opinion. Yours. Yeah. It's uh, I love it. It's uh, the the uniforms are slick. Uh, I was worried that they were going to go a little bit too old school with the powder blues and bringing those back. But you know what? It it's a more modern look uh, on the old classic, which I like. Uh, they didn't really change anything. All the same lettering, wording, the logo, um, and everything. So I think they hit a home run with the the uniform in particular. That matte blue. Um, batting helmet that they're going to be wearing is really cool and that was something that uh, got a lot of positive reaction uh, from the fans who were at Winterfest and people who weren't like the both of us who got to see the reactions on social media on Twitter and Facebook or wherever else you saw those uniforms posted but I will defend the hat the hat is quite nice I was a little uh, I was a little on the fence when I saw the pictures and it's like okay and then when I went and picked it up at the J shop on Thursday, I'm like, damn, this is a nice hat. And yes, I am wearing it right now. I felt it was appropriate to wear it while we were recording. <laughs> yeah, I was worried it was going to look too much. It looks like in the pictures I saw, it almost looks more like a little kid's hat. You know, and that's what I didn't understand. But maybe in person it looks a lot better. But I just thought it was almost too much of the new blue if you brought it over onto the, onto the hat. That's all I was thinking. I was worried at first that it was just going to be the entire new blue and not this different shade of blue jays blue that they're initiating the darker blue 
yeah. which is kind of, you know what? I will say it is a nice change. When they first changed the uniforms back to, or well, to this new look in 2011, um, they only had that one blue hat for every jersey. The gray, the white, and the blue, they would wear that one blue hat. Now, fans have their choices from this new one, the blue one, the old one, uh, and uh, the white panel hat, as you're referring to. So yeah. I, I, I think it's definitely going to help merchandise. Because that was so cool. Yeah, I, I, I finally got yeah. one of my own with the white, the new white panels. I have a couple of old, old ones, man, that, are, they, that don't fit me anymore, but I have them. <laughs> there are still old white panel <laughs> ones with the old logo with the actual baseball and everything. And I just, there's something about that hat to me that just, it, maybe it's just because that's my first World Series ever being fully invested in 1992, and that was the hat they were wearing. Maybe that's what it is, but I'm, I was also very shocked that I liked those batting helmets as much as I did, Brendan, because I was always one of those ones, I was looking at all the other teams in Major League Baseball do it, and then the Yankees did it, and I'm like, oh, God, it's, like, it's nothing special. It looks like, a, looks like they didn't even care, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and oh, just make it this color. It'll, everybody will buy it, right? <laughs> so, But the fact that the Blue Jays, I've always just thought that glossy look on the blue helmets made it pop, you know? I never thought they would get that same mentality of that pop, that blue off of a helmet that was like powder coated like it is. So it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing them trot out there wearing those new jerseys, Craig. And I can confirm for anybody listening, they have a shit ton of them at the Blue Jays store. They were actually when I was in there buying my hat on Thursday, they were getting a ton of all the new jerseys. They're fully stocked with the Nike jerseys. So if you were waiting to get your new Blue Jays jerseys, they have. A ton of Ryu, they have a ton of Biggio, Vlad, and Bo. So the four guys who are probably going to be the four best players on this team heading into 2020. Uh, so but if you're listening Brendan, and you're waiting to... Yeah, what? what is it? <laughs> <laughs> that Nike swoosh made them really expensive. <laughs> yes, yes, they are a little bit more pricey than the Majestic ones. All because of that stupid Nike checkmark. <laughs> yeah. yeah, check please so, is all I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just w- wait until they're on sale or try to find somebody with good discounts before you go out and buy them because they are a little bit more pricey than the Majestic, but you got to pay to look good, Craig. That is the thing. When you live in a big city like Toronto, you got to pay to look good. <laughs> I don't know. Me rocking my retro stuff every time I come up there. eBay served me well. <laughs> <laughs> Gets a good reaction, that's for sure, whenever somebody sees that and, uh, and asks about it. So. Yeah, because I usually that's, wear the, uh, all the stuff from the early Delgado years where the, um, the Maple Leaf was that more prevalent in the logo behind the actual Blue Jays logo. And I just, something about that logo, that carries home with me too, so... I was surprised that when I was wondering when the new blue stuff was coming out, I'm like, okay, are they going to do the full power blue thing? Or are they going to go semi-retro old school with going not all the way back and finding somewhere in the middle there where they had some success as well? But either way, I'm just glad it's still not anything crazy new. And it looks classic, beautiful at the same time, right? I agree. I agree fully. So that's the fun of the uniforms that came out, and that was a big talking point. We got some of the main storylines from media access and interviews out of the way. There was something, or a few things actually, that flew a little bit under the radar, and it was the fact that on Sunday, the Blue Jays had announced that they had signed five veterans to minor league deals with invites to spring training. Now, as you and I both know, and probably the majority of the people listening to our podcast know, no minor league signing is a bad one. It's no risk signing somebody who could win a job out of spring training. The Blue Jays have had success with this in the past, most recently with a Tyler Clifford uh, and a John Axford from the 2018 season. 
But, Craig, this team added two infielders in Ruben Tejada, the old New York Mets shortstop, Joe Panic, who actually I think is the most exciting out of the five guys, uh, World Series champion uh, with the San Francisco Giants, Gold Glove winner, who has had some very good seasons in the past, uh, Ryan Dull, the reliever who had a bit of a cup of coffee with this team in 2019, and then two catchers, and Caleb Joseph, who most fans may remember, was famous for the little dust-up with Marcus Stroman when Stroman threw behind Joseph when Joseph was a Baltimore Oriole, and Patrick Cantwell, uh, probably who will be there as a veteran catcher in Buffalo, maybe Joseph as well. Craig, out of those five names, who do you think has the most upside, and who has the potential to come into spring training and walk away with a job? Honestly, I'm wondering if this minor league si- uh, signing is going to light a fire under the ass of Joe Panic. This guy has fallen off a cliff the last few years for the Giants guy, and I can't believe that his career is over with at this point. He's what's, This is a guy that was just perennially annoying as for all those uh, years where the Giants were in the, uh, you know, in the playoffs. This was one of their best players in playoff baseball with the, the San Francisco Giants during their main run there. The fact that he just, like I said, he fell off a cliff. I just don't believe it. This is a insanely good buy low candidate that clearly has a chip on his shoulder probably to want to get back into playing in the majors. And in all reality, Brendan has a great glove. If he can get back to hitting the ball as well as he was, or even halfway there, this is an idea that might push Kevin Biggio back to the outfield to really give us a good solid one through nine and maybe even fix the quote-unquote outfield issue. <laughs> so yes. there's, a so, that is... there's some nice dominoes that fall if Joe Panic comes into um, spring training hot. And I even think to an extent Ruben Tejada, but I think is if you were looking at the two of them on paper, Joe Panic is gear guy that will clearly has a chance to run away with a job this spring. Yeah, Ruben Tejada to me screams a guy who's probably going to start in Buffalo uh, at shortstop there if Espinal uh, plays at second or third base or whatever. But yeah, uh, you, your exact same wavelength as me and a lot of people who when they saw the announcement of Joe Panic instantly thought, well, maybe they're getting serious about making Kevin Biggio an outfielder. And it wouldn't surprise me to see Kevin Biggio play a little bit of outfield in spring training because, hey, if Biggio can stick in a corner and then you put Grichik in center or Tioscar in center, then I think you're actually looking at a pre- pretty decent outfield with Biggio, uh, Luis Gurriel, Grichik, and Tioscar, maybe a Derek Fisher, now that they have the 26th man on the roster. The other thing I think that this plays into question, Craig, is... Brandon Drury, this got a light of fire under Brandon Drury's ass as well because Drury <laughs> has talent. We both know that. We've seen it with the Arizona Diamondbacks, but in his year and a half with the Blue Jays since they acquired him for J-Hab, Drury was injured when they acquired him in 2018. And then last year, other than against the Oakland Athletics, Drury was basically a non-factor for the majority of the year. So could this start? to spell the end of Brandon Drury as a Toronto Blue Jay because the logical roster move if Panic outplays him would be to DFA Brandon Drury or start him in the minors with his one option remaining and have Panic take the majority of the reps as the backup infielder or play some second base if he moves to the outfield. What do you think? I honestly was wondering how much that was even when they signed Ruben Tejada. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, they're going to just yeah. completely push him out to pasture, or at least they're going to give him some steady competition come spring. And I think that's what they should be doing with Drury. He hasn't performed as well as they thought he would. And he was really a throw-in on a trade that you know we kind of 
had to make. <laughs> so I guess it is what it is at this point. But the fact that you brought in those guys like Panic and Tejada to come around and really bolster that part, what's the worst case scenario if Drury does start out in minor leagues? Joe Panic gets hurt right off the bat in the season. Drury moves, I mean, uh, Biggio moves back to second base, and you bring up Brandon Drury. That's not a bad situation for the Blue Jays to be in. You, they got, and then I think that's where the team this year is going to be so good because no matter how you really shuffle this, there's a guy that's going to be able to come in that's at least as good as the guy, you know, that he's replacing, minus the Vladdies and whatnot. But you got a good average, above average, even possibly player to plug in any position, and it, it makes that much easier for the team to compete. And Joe Panic is a guy that could get back to his form. This guy's a 270 career hitter. <laughs> You know, it's not Brandon Drury batting, like, what, 230 probably for his career, Brandon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, I think we're both in agreement. Uh, I believe Joe Panic could walk away with a job and could be quite solid for this team. And if anything, you know, if Panic does start out there uh, and you got Bo at short and you got some decent gloves over at first base with Travis Shaw, looking at a, decently de- uh, a decent defensive infield other than at third base, which remains to be seen what happens with Vlad and his defense there. Uh, but I, I think Joe Panic could walk away with a job, and if he does, I think it could spell the end of Brandon Drury, uh, and it could also legitimately be the start of accelerating Kevin Biggio into the outfield, who could come in from time to p- time to time and play some second base. So yeah. interesting minor league signings all around. Worst case scenario, you got a former NL Gold Glove talking with Bobachet and Biggio up the middle in spring training. <laughs> yeah, he won the Gold Glove Award in 2016 for the National League when he was with the Giants. So that's pretty impressive. I don't care what anybody says. You win one of those things, and you get to put that Rawlings hardware up on your mantle. That's something that doesn't go away magically. Yeah, he still got the glove. There's no doubt about that. If the bat can come back to what it has been in the past with the Giants, then I think the Blue Jays have made a very sneaky, impactful, under the radar move by signing Joe Panic. How amazing would it act. be if he became like? Omar Vizquel was a few years ago. Oh, what he great. did for that locker room! <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> It'd be that's that 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 right there, Brendan, could be the catalyst that really ties all the other loose ends together and pushes this from being a super young team to that veteran being somebody that these kids can gather around and go with. So, very cool signing. I thought it was, honestly, I thought it was a slight genius because <laughs> I didn't even think about putting Joe Panic in the Blue Jays uniform because of Biggio, and now that I'm looking at it more and more, it's like, oh my god, this is the best idea ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I have no I think it's a good. <laughs> it is a very good piece of business, there's no doubt. Plus, it doesn't help that uh, he is probably the major leaguer with the closest last name to mine, Panic and Panicar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that helps get, too. So why do I feel like you're going to get a new blue jersey with Panic and then have a, a you know, apostrophe and then have your, your extra K-A-R after it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a hybrid jersey. It's a mix. <laughs> <laughs> to catch it all. But Craig, speaking of uh, under-the-radar moves, uh, the Blue Jays made another one today. Uh, before we get into the fun stuff of the promotional schedules that was released, the Blue Jays made a move to bolster the bullpen uh, today. Uh, this was rumored to be coming back right around when they were signing Shun Yamaguchi and Hunjin Ryu from all the uh, the diving into Japanese and Asian media that uh, our friends like uh, Jason Lee were doing and and, um, and others. Uh, but Rafael Dolis, a reliever who had a cup of coffee uh, in the big league level a number of years ago, went over to Japan and in four seasons in Japan 
Rafael Dolis as a reliever pitched 206 innings, 158 hits allowed, a 9.9K per nine, a 2.7 base on balls per nine, 249 ERA, and 96 saves. To add a little bit, he has a two-pitch mix, according to Scott Mitchell, a 96 to 95 mile per hour fastball and splitter. He doesn't allow home runs either, Craig. Oh, that was my favorite Six thing. home runs. <laughs> that was huge. Six home runs allowed and 206 innings in Japan. And as Scott Mitchell wraps up his tweet and um, little insight into Dolly, he says, already in the eighth inning mix with a good spring. This could be really, really interesting addition of Rafael Dolis to this bullpen, who needs some velocity outside of Ken Giles. Yeah, it's going to be a nice little pairing because we were wondering who was going to really step up into that, you know, quote unquote eighth inning guy because now Brian Tapera's gone and who who else has you know been around the last few years to be able to take that role and just run with it, right? I was wondering how much it was going to be one of these young stars that misses the rotation that was going to be that guy in our rotate in our bullpen. Now I'm a little bit more comfortable that we got that guy that just can come out and air it out right in front of Kenton Giles. And from what I was reading elsewhere, that splitter's pretty damn nasty. <laughs> so it's a nice change of pace from that 96, 98-mile-an-hour fastball to watch that thing just dive out of the zone. And uh, apparently it's in the high 80s from what I was reading. So it's a nasty pitch. And God forbid he figures out one more. He's going to be something very very intriguing in the back of our bullpen for probably a little while, man. You know, <laughs> it's a one-year deal, but this guy's trying to get into the majors and stay. He's 32 years old. It's a guy that could just become a Blue Jays guy. And I just think it's hilarious that we have more, apparently, scouts in Japan than I ever imagined <laughs> over the last few years <laughs> to find Delise. And uh, every obviously, the Yamaguchi signing was a little bit more obvious. He's one of the better pitchers over there, but... This one is one that completely caught me off guard as far as I, it's been slowly building for the last you know couple of weeks, but I didn't think we were ever going to pull the trigger on it. So very nice to see them adding to the bullpen and not just going for a full dumpster dive guy. This is a legitimate reliever for the major league level for the Blue Jays, I think. Yes, I completely agree. And you know what? I think it may symbolize or signify to fans of the Blue Jays is maybe that's it earlier additions in the bullpen where you have had additions of A.J. Cole on a minor league deal. You have Anthony Bass, uh, and then you have guys who were there last year, obviously Ken Giles, but outside of him you have Wilmer Font. Uh, Shun Yamaguchi could be the long man out of the bullpen. Uh, Sam Gavilio is still there. and It's shaping up when you add Dolis in there. If A.J. Cole runs away with a job, uh, who knows? The bullpen could actually be quite decent and I think the one very underrated guy in the bullpen, Craig, we can just touch on him very briefly. Um, the one guy who could be an X factor in making this bullpen really good is Wilmer Font, who really seems like he discovered something towards the end of last year when he was an opener. If Font can continue what he was doing at the end of 2019 and bring it into 2020, and you add Dolis, you have Giles, and you have Bass and Cole and whoever else rounds up the bullpen, actually it's starting to be a decent-looking bullpen. Yeah, it's looking that way, and it's not even getting into the question of who the heck's actually left in the minor leagues. There's some other guys that could be sneaking up into this this possible bullpen role, and you have that guy like Wilmer Font that looks like he really did figure something out. I really don't know what the hell he did, but I couldn't believe watching him earlier in the year and watching him in a Blue Jays uniform that it was all of a sudden like night and day. They figured out something, and I hope that's kind of the crap that they figured out for Tanner Roark, because how nice would that be, right? <laughs> But the fact that they had like the Ty Tices and the um, 
Kirby Sneeds and whatnot in a world that are also coming along. There's some good guys in this minor league system that could be pushing for those bullpen spots along with all those names you just went, Brendan. And we have all, all of a sudden a ton of depth, it looks like. It's weird. I don't know what to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's depth all over the place when you think about it. I wish there was a little bit more higher-end depth uh, in the outfield, which I guess there still kind of is. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, this uh, this front office has built a very good collection of starting pitching depth, bullpen depth, uh, and position player depth as well. So there is no shortage of guys who can come up throughout the course of the 2020 season in the probably likely and unfortunate event that there is a major injury or two. Hopefully not. Knock on wood. I just did. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so... All, all, all in all, Craig, I think this offseason has been a good one. There was a lot of good things to come out of Winterfest uh, with some of the good media storylines that we covered, uh, the minor league additions uh, on minor league contracts, uh, and some of the other moves that this team has made uh, over the course of the winter. Um, let's put a, start putting a bow on this episode uh, in terms of covering a, a fun topic for people who have probably had the chance to dissect the Blue Jays promotional schedule for 2020. Some pretty interesting stuff on there. One thing that caught my eye right away, Craig, is that unlike last year, where Dollar Hot Dog Night was only the first Tuesday of each month, it's every Tuesday home game. Dollar Hot Dogs. So if you really want to save some money, buy yourself a cheap ticket and go get four hot dogs for four bucks. <laughs> yeah, we have a few friends of the show that did that rather efficiently last year. <laughs> Myself included. <laughs> so, but yeah, I honestly, I'm, I can't believe how many, uh, good promotions are actually on the schedule, Brendan. There's a bunch of bobblehead nights. There's the Pina Power Beach Towel Night. <laughs> There's some good one, one-offs here that I was not expecting other than, you know, I figured they were going to hopefully expand on the Looney Hot Dog idea just for the fact that it's so simple and so stupid. You get people to the ballpark for a cheap night. Or, you know, it's what the hell. Why wouldn't you do that on a Tuesday night every week if you could? It just seemed weird. But they're doing the normals like the country days, the school days, and whatnot. But... Honestly, I'm shocked that they're doing this one on the opening weekend. The Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home run counter bobblehead. I've seen yeah. the pictures of it. That thing is so damn cool. But it's on a Saturday. I don't remember them having any bobblehead days on weekend games for a really long time, especially an opening day weekend, you know. that's I'm figuring they're going to be close to sellout with all the you know, stuff anyway, so that's going to be a freaking you know, elbow fest of people pushing around trying to get those things, I think, on that Saturday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, uh, it's first Saturday of the year, the Boston Red Sox, people still excited about this team and probably seeing one of the new additions out in the mound in either Roark or Chase Anderson. If that's how the rotation order uh, uh, falls out for the Toronto Blue Jays. So a lot of good stuff on the Blue Jays promotional calendar for sure. Vlad has a bobblehead. Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette have bobbleheads. So all three of the core guys do. Uh, There's a lot of other fun stuff. Country Day, as you mentioned. All the same staples from last year. But I think one that got a lot of people excited is Star Wars night when the Chicago Cubs are in town on a Saturday in late August. That's that cool. should be a draw. That should be fun, especially when it's like a what Chewbacca messenger bag day or something like that as well. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, one other promo that I thought uh, I actually have a couple other ones, but um, they have the Vlad and Dad dual bobblehead giveaway day in July. That's a right, yes. Game. They did that down in Buff, uh, down in Dunedin 
a couple, I think it was last season at the beginning of the year, and that bobblehead was something cool with the two of them wearing Blue Jay jerseys, and you know, it was nif- it was nifty. So I wonder if they're going to do something where he's, you know, Vlad's wearing the Expo jersey or something like that on that bobblehead. Obviously, there's no pictures of this out yet. And then there's two Hyunjin Ryu uh, days that they're doing. They're doing a, bl- a Hyunjin Ryu uh, Blue Replica jersey night, and then apparently they're having a this hat that he designed giveaway day in August. That is cool. That, that is, is cool. very cool. And I think just those two days and knowing the culture in Toronto, those are going to be two big draw f- games, I think, just because of those promos. And I don't remember who they're playing on those weekends. What, Friday night and Saturday with a free hat and a, I know a what, uh, replica jersey night? I, Boom. I know one of them is uh, the Angels, which I find kind of interesting considering the Angels were potentially one of his bigger suitors. <laughs> <laughs> just to rub the replica jersey thing right in their face, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, yes, by the way. exactly. We have them over here on our <laughs> side in the blue, in the new blues. <laughs> so, but it, there it's some very cool stuff on here, and I, I, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I, I'm looking very forward to seeing what the bow flow bobblehead is going to look like. That's going to be some cool stuff, I think. But I really think those are going to be days of freaking crazy lines at the Rogers Center, kind of like how when we were down in Buffalo. More segue points. <laughs> <laughs> when three. we were standing in line for three hours waiting for our Vladdy bobbleheads. <laughs> Yeah, hungover as hell. <laughs> so and now they're doing uh, they're doing bow right in Buffalo this season. They're doing a Boba Shed bobblehead, I believe I saw. Yes, they are doing a where was it? I think it was in August or something like that. A Boba Shed bobblehead night, and but typical minor league fashion. They got a few bobblehead nights. They have um, replica jersey giveaways, and then one of my favorite nights, Brendan. And I was going to throw this one at you, and it's usually at the end of the season. They have a mystery autograph ball night. That'd be cool. Show up to the ballpark. They just hand you a ball that was signed by a Buffalo Bison over the recent years. There's a chance you could get a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. ball in there or a Bo Bichette, or you get a Nate Pearson or something like that. That's a pretty cool idea, I thought. But they do have the regular autograph day earlier that week on the 16th. But it's pretty nifty either way. And honestly, last time they did that, I think there was a few Devon White balls thrown in there because he's a coach with them and some other things like that they gathered up from Blue Jay events throughout the year the relationship between the blue jays and the buffalo bisons has been only growing and i honestly can't i love every minute of it being you know it's that is the center of my drive coming up to see you in toronto <laughs> yeah it's, it's the exact halfway point to meet up and catch a bisons game which i think uh a bisons weekend just like we did last year should be in order again i actually expect it to be in order so yeah, there's uh make sure there's we have girls this year <laughs> to keep us in line uh, yeah, no, no crazy shenanigans like uh, last summer. That was not fun on Sunday morning, but you know what? It was a fun weekend overall, so exactly. it definitely has to continue. And it was a great weekend of Buffalo Bisons baseball too, where they won the Saturday game, right? But they lost the Friday night yes. game we were at. Yep. So correct. And that was correct. right when they were in the thick of the playoff race there too. So it was a little. It was very interesting to see that the ballpark there in Buffalo, which is a very lovely ballpark, a little bit of a throwback, but awesome time for any Blue Jays fans. Um, it was good to see that ballpark filled up like it was. So, all yeah. fun stuff. And you know, you know the cool thing I believe I saw and noticed with the Bobachette bobblehead is it is a Saturday. So it's uh, you throw in the Bobachette bobblehead. I believe it's the Saturday. It is uh, not just a away. Saturday. It is a Labatter Day. There, exactly <laughs> where I was going with that. Yes, it is a Labatter Day as well. So you get the double whammy with good promotions Cheap from the Bisons on that weekend. And she, and hopefully you get a nice bobblehead. <laughs> so, well, cool I stuff. think there's a. I think there's our weekend if it uh, if it works out with schedules for uh, for the annual Bison's trip where we meet up halfway and go That'd to the too camp. Too easy, and as Blue Jays Day yeah. on that twelfth, 
very after bobblehead bill bushette bobblehead day <laughs> even better even better so all right sign me up good. game on good good <laughs> sign, sign us up absolutely and anybody's welcome to join us just like we put out last year i think that will probably be penciled in 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 uh in stone yeah. Uh, so we had a good good show of Blue couch. Jays fans last year that joined in on our shenanigans. There was a good 10, 15 people that showed up, and we had a great time with everybody. And shout out to all our Blue Jays gang that actually was there during that game that hopefully are still listening to our terrible shenanigans on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope they are still listening, and uh, I think they are owed uh, a good final sign-off on tonight's episode. But before we do that, Craig, was there any other things that we didn't cover that you want to quickly bring up before we end with our traditional you know what? Apparently during an interview at Winterfest, Rowdy Telez says that this underdog feeling he keeps getting is only fueling his fire. <laughs> Good. As it I should. would love to As see him should. run away with it. So, <laughs> it I hope be, it's only uh, true. Yeah, I do too. It would be fantastic if Rowdy Telez uh, came out and had a showing and was a good DH right there with Travis Shaw. That could be a nice, very powerful first base slash DH role like we saw with Chris Colabello and Justin Smoke just a few seasons ago. That would uh, definitely push the offense closer to that over on 75 wins and closer to 500. Yeah, and the fact that they're both left-handed, I think that uh, really pushes that lineup into a different place too, which has been rather right-handed heavy for you know basically this millennium. <laughs> <laughs> so, it'd be nice to get some more balance in there and having somebody like Telez run away with a DH spot or at least have him back and forth with a Teoscar or something like that in the DH spot it would be really really nice to see so I hope all is true and all is well with Rowdy Telez because he is a fun guy to be talking to and I think he deserves a shot Smoke isn't here, let him run away with it if he can I think Travis Shaw's his biggest hurdle and I don't think he's going anywhere but the fact that there is a DH spot with a giant hole in it right now, that's a win for Rowdy Telez if he can get it. No doubt, and he's a very easy guy to root for as well, so it'll be good to see Rowdy Telez hopefully run away with a job in spring training. Game on, Craig, <laughs> Game on. Absolutely game on. So, Blue Jays fans, you know where to find us. Another great episode of Jaybird Watching. And with that, follow us on Twitter, interact with us, we'll get you on the show, all that kind of fun stuff. And Craig, as you know how we sign off on things, sign me out, buddy. Give me a good one. Let's go. Let's go, Blue Jays. Let's go, Blue Jays. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.